My bucket list item is to do a million hands in my lifetime. We have a saying in our organization that doors slam open. So no sooner did I share with my wife that I had one item on my bucket list and then a door slammed open and I got a call from Odyssey Teams telling me that they had done an assembly with Dassault Systems and that Dassault has said, what else can we help your foundation out with? Now we're moving forward. Hi there. Welcome back to the SolidWorks Born to Design podcast a collection of inspiring stories about those who create, build, invent, and engineer new ideas and do actual new products. And by the way, they all use SolidWorks. I'm your host, Cliff Medling, and I wanted to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Born to Design podcast, entitled Giving a Helping Hand to One Million. Today, I'm talking with Michael Mendonca, founder of the Ellen Meadows Prosthetic Hand Foundation, an organization that has given away over 50,000 prosthetic hands but its goal is to reach 1 million of the 18 million in need around the world. I'm also talking with my coworker, David Randall, who has been working on a way to help Michael reach his goal through the 3D Experience for Good program. This is an incredible story and adventure that shows what can happen when you get some passionate designers together, and I'm sure their story will inspire you as well. So let's jump right in. David, why don't you kick us off and explain this incredible project that's going on between Michael's foundation and what we're doing at SolidWorks and others. So, David. Hey, Cliff. Thank you so much for having us. So this project goes pretty deep. We do so many good things on a regular basis, and our customers do good things. We do good things with them. Yet, it's so easy to look over that because of the breadth of stuff that's going on, right? And in a a busier world, it's sometimes easy to ignore uh, these really special moments and these special activities that may not seem big but that really affect people at a scale that we cannot imagine. So this year we've created something that, uh, not only an environment, but a series of activities that can help us communicate with our community and the user base what some of these activities are like, and, and more importantly, get them engaged. You know, part of, our, part of my job is growth for the brand. You know, we figure out ways to help create bigger ideas, better solutions, and more opportunities for people to engage with us. And so this is, a, I think, a really bright light in, in our future. We're calling it 3D Experience for Good because it's exactly that, right? These are initiatives that are a little philanthropic in style. They allow us to kind of move the world forward at a much more human level, which is a big vision for Desso Systems at the moment as well. So it's not out of line with, uh, with everything we're doing, even from a portfolio perspective. But, but nonetheless, we wanted to do something that directly engages a problem in the world and that also ties our community together. And so we started thinking about what we were going to do, and the, the early days were that we knew we wanted to do some sort of hackathon leading up to this event and reach into our community to do something that obviously took advantage of some of our modern technologies and our, our tools and let the creativity in our community come to life. Well, I wanted to start. A hackathon is usually more of a, a software development hackathon, something you can put together. So this is a little different. And- Explain how this is different. This is more of a design. Hackathon, yeah, it's more right? the spirit of a hackathon, right. I would say. Right. I mean, you know, hackathon started by bringing groups of people together, either in the software world to just like literally hack out a really kind of quick problem to come out with out of the box ideas to to address something. Or they used to do it in hardware circles as well, and still do. You know, where you're basically given a kit of parts and you can go to town with some people. 
I mean, the spirit of it is just about engaging, I think, a variety of cultures and solving a problem creatively. That's it. You know, and you can set a timeline to it. You can, you can do a bunch of other things. But this was really the spirit of the hackathon. Uh, but I, I want to start a bit before this because I think the context is important. And um, I have, my first question was actually how did all, this all get started, David? Yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah. So, so let me start there, and then um, we'll hand off to Michael Mendonca, uh, who can talk about the Ellen Meadows Prosthetic Hand Foundation. But this actually started with my wife. So, uh, you know, she's a, a, a project manager with the Technology Division of United Healthcare, and she was tasked uh, in 2018 to come up with a team building activity for her team. And so after doing some research, she stumbled upon this activity hosted by Odyssey Teams, uh, who's with us tomorrow, by the way. So on Tuesday, they're here to do the same thing my, my wife went through and that some people internally went through as well. So you guys get, get to experience it. And she found this company that offers a team building activity that's centered around the assembly of a low cost, highly distributable prosthetic hand. The whole purpose of that is that it gets corporations like us to essentially buy the hands and pay a little bit of extra for the distribution as well and assemble them. And that takes care of the logistics to get those hands to a user somewhere in the third world that was either uh, born with a birth defect or was uh, hurt in an accident where an amputation had to happen. And the recipient gets the hand for free. Right? So we're basically subsidizing, as, as you know, a wealthy nation, we subsidize the, the hand that goes to the recipient. And I just thought that was very touching. And obviously, you know, as a as a designer and um, you know, being engineering minded, I said, "Well, that's cool. Like, my team would love to do that too." And right. so this year, I was given an opportunity in 2019 to do our team meeting here. And I said, "Of course, we're going to do the the Helping Hands workshop," and we did. And part of what we did was research how the design came about. You know, we were curious as engineers you know, who designed this hand, how did it come about. And it turned out that after asking uh, the Aussie team's executive team, they reached out to Michael, and I only knew that after knowing Michael, but they reached out to him saying, hey, we have this, you know, this customer who's wondering you know, how this thing was designed and how it was made and all that stuff. And it turns out that it was designed 25 years ago before CAD even existed. And so that's when the light bulb went off. And we said, this is a great opportunity where we can put into practice everything we believe, so everything from not only just a cultural perspective, but also a technology perspective, test our tools, reach out to some of the most creative people, the best engineers in our community, and give them a challenge to say, what would a new generation of this hand be like, look like, feel like? How could we satisfy maybe some of the goals that the community's provided feedback on with regard to this hand? And do it maybe in a compressed time frame just to make it more of a challenge and to really kick off a project that has longevity. And so that's how this hackathon came about. And, uh, and in a sense, did you want to disrupt this prosthetic to, to, to make a, you obviously want to make a better one, because I see you're tying in a lot of doctors as well into this whole process, so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I don't think disruption was the core purpose. That wasn't the driver, but as a side effect to look at this problem very differently, again, with modern technologies, modern materials, exactly. modern techniques. I'll talk about the team structure in a bit, but, you know, we were careful to pick the personalities on the teams as well to make sure we have a nice variety of ideas coming together. And so, you know, I think disruption just was inevitable regardless. I think just the nature of this project was to change the way things are done. Exactly. Um, and we certainly did that. I mean, I, I, I cannot believe what we saw today. 
Like, I think all of our minds were just completely blown. It's hard to get across on a podcast, but uh, what, what David has done today here at 3D Experience World with this project is it's really impressive. Like, I, I know he was working on this cool project, and I was kind of paying a little bit of attention, but I didn't really understand the depth and the... Uh, I was completely blown away today. I really was. It was very impressive. And we'll, we'll add some videos to this uh, to, to show you in the blog that goes along with this podcast. But it's quite a project. So Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I spoke earlier about the idea to, you know, engage our community kind of bi-directionally as well. We're using them to obviously produce some ideas to, to meet the challenge. But we also want the community to be a part of making this thing succeed. And so uh, what we've done is we've actually launched some pitch videos that each team did today. And those are out in our social channels, and we've done a public vote. So basically, anybody who sees those videos on our channel can log in. There's you know links on the end of the videos and stuff, and they can actually cast their vote for which one they think meets the criteria the best. Based and, on the and there's how many teams total? There are five teams. There's five teams. Mm-hmm. And once and once they vote and they make a decision, will there still be reiterations after that final model? We imagine so. Yeah, yeah. we we yeah. consider this phase to be. Um, basically like a prototyping phase right so it was like ideation get some good ideas filter through those ideas and then come up with you know a strong proposal um, but as with anything and with the compressed time frame I mean these teams were only given 120 hours total to work on these and what came out I mean every team showed up with a physical prototype most of them were 3d printed fully functioning prototypes which is just insane in that time frame exactly yeah. um, and so they got way further than I was imagining which is awesome you know because it gives I think more confidence on on which direction uh, Michael and I were actually laughing about it because you know we I think we think this next phase is actually gonna be way harder than we thought it was <laughs> gonna be initially you know I think the detail the thoughtfulness the the engineering work that went into some of the mechanisms and so, I mean it was just way beyond what we were expecting yeah I was uh, very impressed today yeah yeah so absolutely, we want to, the ideas that will figure out ways to move this forward. You know, when, when I first spoke to Michael about this project and we got the support from our executive team, the vision was to drive this all the way home and basically say, we want to see a new generation of this hand that meets all the criteria that the foundation has set and that users have provided feedback on, on a recipient as soon as possible. As soon as possible. And, and to do it in a way that's even more scalable than uh, the, current, um, the, the current model. Right, right. Should we, is this a good time to hand over to Michael and talk about the goal? or did, is it, No, what, absolutely. Is, I think it's a great time. I, you know, I, I've kind of given a high level on, on, on what the goals are from a volume perspective and you know, some of the challenges and some of the feedback they've collected in the field. But you know, Michael's really the one who's just taken this problem head on. You know, I think he's uh, a wonderful individual just to have the, the fortitude to just say, there is this problem. There's 18 million people, by the way, that suffer from arm uh, amputations. Really? Yeah. Or are missing some part of their arm. I mean, it's been a huge feat to distribute 50,000 of these. That's still meaningful, but the gap between 50,000 and 18 million is monstrous. It's, it's so there's huge, a lot yeah. There's a lot of work that can be done here. Excellent. But yeah, Excellent. let's let Michael talk yeah, about let, it. Yeah, absolutely. So Michael, what you've been working on? Uh, my name is Michael Mendonca. I'm the founder of the Ellen Meadows Prosthetic Hand Foundation, which we started in 2005. 2005. I kind of want to ask you know, what you're doing now, and you knew there was a better solution, how you got involved with this, and, and what's your goal moving forward. But, but put it in your own words, yes. So, uh, so our organization recently learned that there's about 18 million people in the world who are missing an upper limb, either from the shoulder down or from the elbow down. And we've been putting on prosthetic hands for the last 15 years, 
and we're really proud of ourselves. We've done 55,000 hands in 80 countries, but that, that doesn't impressive. even begin to address the, the need worldwide. So I have one item on my bucket list, and my bucket list item is to do a million hands in my lifetime. And as soon as I kind of made that statement at home one day to my wife, it wasn't but a few weeks after that that I got a call from Odyssey Teams telling me that they had done an assembly with Dassault Systems and that uh, Dassault has said, what else can we help your foundation out with? So uh, we set up a conference call, which was with Dave and Suchit and Simga and Brian and Marie and maybe a couple of others. And they asked me, you know, what can we do to help you? I had three things on the list, and one of them was to distribute a million hands. And the question came up was, you want to do a million hands, but how many people really need them? And that's when I kind of shared with them that there's about 18 million people in the world. Million, wow. wow, that's that's great. So I guess after you mentioned that to your wife, she was, and this this call came along. It was, it was a done deal, right? We're moving forward, right? <laughs> it, it, it was not just a done deal, but it moved so smoothly and so easily. It was like we had all been friends for years. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But let me ask you, why you? Why is this your goal? Why, why did the gods from above or why did the universe tell you that you needed to, to make this goal happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll go with God from above. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I look back on my life, since I was a kid, I actually think I've been being prepared to run such an organization. That's awesome. Everything from working in nonprofits to working in for-profits to being uh, very involved in the community to having a, uh, a sense of purpose for providing humanitarian support. And I have so much support from my family and my friends for being involved in this sort of a thing. And every time I turn around, some sort of uh, amazing item happens. We have a saying in our organization that doors slam open. <laughs> and I like that. So no sooner did I share with my wife that I had one item on my bucket list, and then a door slammed open, and I got a call from Odyssey and subsequently from Dave, and now we're moving forward. That's great. So, so tell us about the experience today, uh, seeing everybody coming up with their designs and presenting. How, how, how was that in your mind? It exceeded every expectation that I could have imagined. We've been using the same hand for about 15 years, and we knew it was time to come up with a new one, to make some changes. And in talking with Dave and what these people do here, I was so excited about having these young, brilliant minds come up with something that could just you know, kind of knock my socks off. And again, they exceeded my expectations. They came up with solutions and uh, suggestions on how to move forward with some of the changes to the hand that it's going to end up keeping it able to be manufactured inexpensively with uh, better consistency and additional functionality and even looking even more realistic. That's great. I, I think uh, I think David had mentioned that uh, that's one of the one things that uh, a lot of the patients wanted is they wanted a more realistic looking hand, right? Yeah. It's very true. You know, in, in the U.S. and other developed nations, we embrace individuality and uniqueness. Even, you know, people that have a prosthetic leg, you know, wearing shorts and showing off their prosthesis. In developing countries, people don't want to look different. They want to look the same. 
Oh, that's interesting. So it became a really important factor for us. Okay. A lot of these are for children, so they're going to tear it up, right? Just like children do, right? Yeah. You know, um, the genesis of the project was, in fact, for children, particularly who were landmine victims. But uh, actually, that's ended up being a really sm- the landmine victims has been a really small percentage, and children have been probably about only 20% of our total, and that actually uh, young adults and then mature adults have been the, the remaining 70, 80% of right. who we've put hands on. Well, that's great, though. So what's the next steps? When we hope to have a, a final design, and when can we start? production or well this is monday i'm kind of thinking you know by friday right you know should we have something going no this is great i I don't want to put pressure but this is exciting and and, uh i hope that people hear this and your enthusiasm for this project i hope people can sense this over a podcast that you know your goal to really reach that million i'm really excited for you to reach that goal i I think we that's going to be a huge milestone i think you guys can make it and i'm really excited about that so one of the things that David asked us to do was to put together some design parameters for the competition, for the hackathon. Of course, you know, we, we said we wanted to look, it to look more realistic and we wanted it to have improved functionality. We wanted them to look at touch technology so that a person could be able to use a touch screen oh, on that's a, a good point. telephone. I didn't um, think about that. That's, that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so there's some new technology with resins that'll uh, help to make that happen. Awesome. And, uh, we also told them that it needed to be manu- manufactured inexpensively, and it needed to be relatively simple to manufacture. So we threw a lot of stuff at them, and right. they came back. Uh, there were five teams, and quite honestly, we could select any one of the project results from any one of those teams, and we could actually move forward. We're going to select a winner. So someone's going to win, but I see being able to incorporate some aspects of pretty much every team into a final design. And I think if we were able to do some prototyping and some testing in the field by the fall of this year, that would be aggressive but doable. That's great. So, so if, can I ask, uh, how much do they cost now, or is that something we don't want to discuss? Yeah, that's a secret. No, okay. <laughs> no. Um, so the hands cost fifty dollars now to make, and that includes every aspect of it. It includes the set of instructions that comes with them. It includes the shipping costs. It also includes all of our storage costs as an organization and uh, some administrative costs like a P.O. box, and we have to register the devices every year with the FDA. But we're a 100% volunteer organization. We have absolutely no paid staff at this time, and uh, no recipient has ever paid a dime for their hand. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, how could other people get involved or or donate? Yeah, so we have a website, ln4.org, and the hand is called the LN4. It's named after... A young woman, Ellen Meadows, who uh, was sadly killed in an automobile accident years ago, and her father set out to do something in her memory, and he and his wife decided that uh, using the initials LN would be easier for them to accept than seeing their daughter's name, Ellen, and uh, it's the LN4 because it's the fourth project that's been done in their daughter's memory, and he has not shared with us what projects one two and three are and really that's hope. okay we fully that, respect that but that's a great yeah but that's a great way to remember her doing some great things that, that's excellent this is awesome so david so now that you have an understanding of michael's background and his goals and some of the not only interest in supporting this and you know the ability for us to participate and really help him achieve 
his organization's goals. You know, we, we want to continue this, first of all. So not, not just this project in particular, but we want to continue this format, this idea of surfacing some of these stories. So don't be strangers about you know, reaching out and publicizing any opportunities. You know, we're always listening for some amazing stories. In fact, the booth, you know, we had a special booth built for this at the show. It's a pretty impressive one, too. There's like this 16-foot you know, tall flying arch that's right, right. labeled. And I mean, we made it look like a design studio. It was, it was pretty awesome. And within the space, we've had a few activities, right? We started with the Magic Wheelchair Reveal yesterday. This is the Monday of World that we are now. So today was the, the final presentations of the hackathon, right? The hackathon started a month ago. So they had, teams had a month and a max of 120 hours. And, and why don't you explain that they were they were all remote until a lot of them, the teams just met today. And, and as Dave was mentioning at 3D Experience World at this hackathon booth, the teams had their five different sections and they were from all over, all, all ages. Uh, I mean, it was, it yeah, was a very it was, diverse group of people and they, a lot of them got together for the first time and were putting their final products together. So Yeah, yeah. And, and that's part of the recipe for disruption. So yeah, to, to, I'm glad you asked that, to dive in a little bit. Yeah, we, th the whole purpose of this was to do two things, obviously achieve the goal. The second was to really put our own products through their paces. And as you guys know, we've invested a lot in the 3D Experience platform and um, its ability to kind of connect people around a design, around an idea, around a project. And this was the perfect opportunity to, to use it to help deliver against this project. You know, what we did is we structured five teams with six participants on each team. And each team had two internal people, one more technical, one more, you know, kind of salesy, business, you know, business driven, you know, to work on presentation and story and that sort of stuff. And then we had four external participants and what we tried to do is find somebody with very strong mechanical engineering proficiency, ideally somebody with maybe robotics or mechanical you know, component design, that sort of stuff. We wanted somebody with um, industrial design proficiency, somebody that could understand the human factors and body fitment and style and you know, the importance of a look, because you know, that was some of the most valuable feedback that's come out of the field. We had a student, you know, we wanted kind of a young, fresh mind to just come at this, maybe from a completely different angle Absolutely, uh, and yeah. challenge, challenge the status quo. And then we had kind of a wild card, you know, and it turned out that some of those wild cards came from our VARs, you know, they're kind of champion AEs from the VARs who are just really super talented and super good at not only understanding our product, but understanding the process and being creative as well. And so on each team, we found you know, amazing diversity. And to find that diversity, you can't go into a single office. And again, because of our cloud-based solutions and the collaboration capability within the platform, it freed us up to go find the right people wherever they were. So we literally had teams that were comprised of people from Canada, from the UK, from various parts of the US, all working on this collectively. And um, you know, one of the benefits of having our community participate in this is that we were able to bring them to World. So part of the incentive to participate was to actually fly them all and put them up during World and be here and meet each other physically for the first time. Right. And even that was super cool because right. uh, you know, just to witness you know, the emotion on these people coming together for the first time around a collective idea that's much bigger than any of us was just magical and it was spectacular. And, I mean, we saw such cohesion on these teams. It's uh, sometimes you can't plan that. You know, it's just uh, kind of this magic, right. magic moment that's happened. Well, and I think that's important, Pete. You, you said connecting people around an idea, and it's also connecting people around solving a problem for good, as you mentioned. 
And I think that's what we see at previous SolidWorks Worlds and three Experience World. This design community, they realize that collaboration gets them a quicker solution, right? That's what we're seeing these days, where uh, you think back at Edison and Tesla, and they didn't share anything because they hate each other. <laughs> they were fighting to get to the patent office first, right? Yeah. So now we're seeing collaboration, people wanting to help out others, and through collaboration, you get there quicker. It's not designing it yourself and problem solving it on your own. Yeah, I think we're realizing that there's just so much information and so many options um, among us. You know, right. it's it's almost impossible to achieve in a silo. It just is, right? There's right. there's just no way somebody has an individual has the capacity to just, you know, factor in enough variables to come up with something disruptive or something unique. Anything else you want to add, Michael? Uh, we, as a foundation, are just truly humbled to be here and to have kind of fall in our laps uh, an opportunity and an offer from Dassault Systems to be a partner with us. It's absolutely the biggest moment in the history of our foundation. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I, you know, well, you're doing a great thing and I think everybody wants to uh, be involved with this as well. So I think it's, it's our pleasure as well. I'm sure David would say the same, yeah. Thank you, we're very excited about moving forward. Excellent, that's awesome. Thanks for listening today, and please check out the Ellen Meadows Prosthetic Hand Foundation at ln4.org. Also, search online for details about the entire 3D Experience for Good hackathon project, which used the 3D Experience platform for the redesign of the LN4 prosthetic. You can find several videos on our YouTube channel about it at youtube.com SOLIDWORKS and on SOLIDWORKS Live, which you can find at live.solidworks.com. We'll be back again soon with more great Born to Design podcast stories at SolidWorks.com slash podcast or wherever podcasts are readily available. Until then, keep on innovating. I really hope that what you heard today has inspired you. If you enjoyed it, head on over to iTunes, search for the Born to Design podcast, and please leave a five-star review so that this podcast will be recommended to more people, helping us expand the Born to Design community. Thank you.